Well, hello everybody. Welcome to our show here at Master the NEC, where we examine the National Electrical Code and we try to shed some light on some areas of it that people don't understand or just want to listen to me rant on about the NEC. Um, one I will say before we get started is make sure that you have the uh, latest edition, which is the 2014 National Electrical Code. If you have an earlier edition, that's fine. I'll point out any major changes, uh, but only if they're major changes that may have any impact on our show. Um, but uh, make sure you have at least your National Electrical Code with you. Uh, and again, as always, uh, we support the, the, the NFPA, so visit their website at nfpa.org. Uh, get your code books and all those type of stuff from NFPA. It helps support their calls, and it's a great cause. Also, today's show is sponsored by this little self-plug here. Today's show is sponsored by Pins by Paul, which you go to paulabernathy.com and check out the pins that we make. These are not your everyday pin. These are giveaway-type pins that you would give to somebody on a graduation or retirement. They're very high-end pins. Usually the ones I do are the 22 or 24-karat gold-plated with rhodium uh, and usually special types of blanks with some really special types of wood or acrylics or sometimes the mixture of two. You can use them for an everyday writing instrument, but you know they are high-end pins, so uh, it takes hours to create them. And, and I only will sell, sell pins that are perfect, that are flawless. Uh, I won't sell any ones that I'm trying to hide anything on. Uh, so great pins to think about. All right, enough of that plug. All right, so hopefully if you're listening to this show, you have listened to our first uh, broadcast uh, here at Master of the NEC, which was part one of this two-part series, which was about uh, type AC cable. Uh, and I did get some emails on it, and hopefully I have addressed all those emails uh, and answered the questions. Uh, and if any of them really come up during this show, I will kind of help explain the difference, and that might be helpful to anybody that might be listening. Um, and so, again, in an effort to try to keep the shows short, brief, I mean, for me, I, as you know, keeping anything brief is a chore. Uh, and people say, how in the world could you talk an hour and a half about MC cable or AC cable? Well, you know, I could talk for days probably on the two topics, explaining the differences from the level of, from maybe a UL perspective or from a, uh, from, you know, from a design, whether it's article, uh, UL4 or UL 1569 for MC or UL4 for AC. There is differences, the limited number of conductors in AC versus the kind of an unlimited uh, aspect of uh, MC. There's size limitations that, that come into play. Um, there's reasons why AC cables not for use in service applications and where MC can be. Uh, but, you know, we could go on and on and on and on for that. And I hopefully you contact me. Uh, with those questions, because, you know, we want to be here at Encore Wire wants to be the definitive resource for anything that has to do with wire and cable. Of course, I get questions about other aspects of the NEC, but, you know, our main focus here is to become the definitive experts when it comes to uh, wiring methods that we produce, wiring cable. So I encourage you to email us. Uh, you can contact me directly at info at masterthenec.com. Or you can contact Encore Wire's Codes and Standards Division at codes at EncoreWire.com. So there's a shameless plug there. But this class today is for all the manufacturers that produce type MC cables. And that's what this series is all about. Um, 
And that's what Master the NEC is all about. It's about education. It's a, a non-biased approach to looking at the NEC. So you won't hear me do any shameless plugs on Encore's half. Uh, all the manufacturers, Encore, Southwire, General Cable, AFC, all of them make great products. So, you know, just kind of keeping it real. And I'm also thirsty. Sorry. All right. Let's get ready. Let's examine this sucker. We're going to be talking today in the second part of the series about Article 330. Uh, UL's assigns the design for this product guidelines that we have to follow as manufacturers under UL 1569. And there's a lot of aspects in that that falls under the design characteristics. And it also covered slightly here in Part 3 of Article 330, kind of, you know, construction specifications that are governed, well, I would say governed, anything that's kind of the guidance of the NEC, and it also goes on and tells you, oh, well, here's some of the, the minimum safety construction guidelines, you know, but if you wanted to read uh, a more in-depth study of what all goes in the testing that's involved in Type MC Cable, then you've got to go to UL 1569, and that document uh, we'll cover everything from the testing procedures. It will talk about how we test it in accordance with an overall testing standard like UL 2556, um, or 1581, or, or for the conductors that are inside of this uh, cable. and All that type of thing are great. But since we're an NEC kind of forum here, we're, we're going to stick to the NEC portions of this. So first thing we want to do, as always, we want to look, uh, and if you're following along, I'm in the electronic condition. Uh, an electronic edition, uh, it's, uh, well, it's easy for you to get to, but if you're in the paperback, it's probably on page 200 is where it starts. Uh, I'm not sure what page it is on the electronic, 203 on the electronic edition, uh, the PDF version. Okay, so three parts to this part. Uh, there's a general, there's an installation part, and then there's obviously the last one, which is construction specifications, and we talked about, and we'll touch on that one briefly. Our main focus is really going to be, uh, be honest with you, our, our main focus or the main meat of the, of the time that we spend is probably going to be in part two, which is the installation. This is where most people will end up when you're out in the field doing the work. Um, of course, you got to understand uh, the, the general scope of it. And so that's where we'll start at the scope because you need to know where you, you can use this product, how it's to be installed to meet the minimum safety standards, and you gotta understand some basic construction specifications. Especially when you have wire coming in from overseas, it might get in that's, you know, the wiring methods have to be listed, but you know, somehow it gets in and, you know, we wanna make sure that it's at least a minimum constructed safety um, design. So that's why you have part one, general, make sure you're in the right area, make sure, you know, obviously this is a no-brainer, for most of you that are working with type MC cable, you know that if you're working with it, then you obviously know that, that if you had a question about it, then, the, then it's going to be within the scope of 330. So that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, but it just kind of gives you the layout. So the worst thing that I see from people that utilize the NEC is that they spend a lot of time, and there's a lot of great people out there who work in the NEC every day. Um, and, you know, and, and this document has changed a lot of lives. It's changed mine, obviously, back years ago when I was just an electrician and, and, and I wanted to advance my career into codes and standards applications uh, and, and to eventually take me to where I am you know, today, uh, which is where I wanted to be overall. So it's kind of a 
systematic plan on how I get from A to B, and I did it through jurisdictions, then I did it for an association like NEMA, and then I worked my way up to working for a manufacturer. That way I can hone my skills down on specific products so that I can be a generalist expert in all of the NEC, but I'm an expert in wiring cable as of late, and that's why I've spent a lot of my focus examining the UL documents, learning how they're constructed, then learning the code. So that's what I'm trying to bring to the industry. But I'm still keeping up on every other code change and section and articles and parts and whatever throughout the NEC. So it's been an ongoing effort, and uh, you know I have a lot of friends out there uh, who do the same thing. So. But you got to know what you're working with, and you got to remember the reason these things go an hour and a half is because sometimes I get on these little tangents, and I apologize. All right, so 300.1 gives us the scope, so we know where we're at, what we're doing. That the, the question that we're about to ask uh, somebody in the code industry that we're really dealing with MC cable, and then of course you got to understand the construction, the definition of what type MC cable is. Now it's a factory assembled, that means in our factory, in accordance with UL 1569 will produce the conductors itself. They will be either THHN slash THWN-T or an XHHW type of uh, insulation on copper conductors. And what they'll do is they'll cable it, then they'll bring it through what's called an armorer, and the armorer will put, well, will put the armor around it. So that's all done in the factory. It's one or more insulated circuit conductors with or without optical fiber members enclosed in an armor of interlocking metal tape or a smooth or corrugated uh, metallic sheathing. Now, today's episode, we are going to spend the majority of our time talking about interlocking, uh, you know, those manufacturers that make both smooth and corrugated. Uh, we will touch on those, uh, but we mainly focus on the, the, the majority products that are used in the industry when we do these shows. So interlocking is the, is the majority product of the three. That's used the most. Okay. Now, ironically, of the other two, which can be used in a, as an effective ground fault current path in itself, interlocking metal cannot. So you have to go with a more enhanced product, whereas you would have a aluminum grounding slash bonding conductor inside of it that makes intimate contact with the convolutions. And that creates a specialty type of interlocking uh, metal clad cable that can be, the outer armor can be used as an effective ground fault current pan. And we have a neat video out on that. If you want to go to YouTube and look for the Encore uh, Wires Codes and Standards, I did a little video on there. It's about nine minutes long that explains the in and outs of that enhanced type of interlocked metal tape, uh, metal clad cable. And that's pretty neat if you want to learn how to terminate it and how to do all that properly, then that's the way to go. All right, so we know what it is. It's made in a factory. It's not something you'd make in the field. Uh, you can't do it. Uh, we have a, a, you know, an Encore. I can just speak for Encore. We have a, a lot of machines that, that all day long, 24 hours a day, they're doing nothing but spitting out uh, this uh, MC and AC cables uh, because it's a huge seller and it's a, a, a reliable product. Okay. All right, let's go on down to part two, installation, uses permitted. All right, we're going to cover this pretty quickly. Uh, let's see, 330.10, uses permitted. We got A, and you've got 12 items under A. Hopefully, if you're in the 2014 edition, you're following along. All right, general uses, type MC cables shall be permitted as follows. Now, notice it says shall be permitted. 
It doesn't say shall be, period, you know what I'm saying? So what it's not saying that these are the only. This is a non-all-inclusive list of different options. So obviously we have to work with the AHJs when other options of use come up that aren't listed here. And you have to work with them. You have to look at the construction of the product. You have to look at the interior conductors. You have to look at the outside. And you have to work together because this is a product that is uh, very versatile. It is, it's flexible. It's going to meet a lot of needs. And you have to have the, the ability to uh, use it in applications that might be non-traditional. And we really have to work together to make sure that they can use this type product. So uh, just because it's not listed here doesn't mean that, that an AHJ or somebody needs to shut the door on a potential use. Okay, Kind of one of the things in the code where we say if it's not prohibited, then it's permitted. Okay, So keeping that all in mind. All right, number one here, it says for services, feeders, and branch circuits. Obviously, the majority of the use that we see it in is for feeders and branch circuits, but it doesn't remove the fact that it could be used for services. And we have to remember that because that is a viable option for the application. And of course, if you're using it for services, everything in 230 is going to apply. Uh, so nothing really changes, but you, you have to be remember that you have services 230, you got feeders under 215 and 225 where applicable, and then you got branch circuits under 210. All of those things are going to apply, and you can use MC cable. The number one use of traditional MC cable, without a doubt, is going to be for branch circuits. However, you're seeing a lot more use in feeders, especially when you're running them up uh, multi-story uh, buildings, and you need to, and, and you don't want to have the the rigidness of a raceway or a conduit, then what you can have is that you, I should say raceway or a conduit. Raceway includes conduits and tubings, but you want the flexibility and the ease of buying a, something that's a factory assembled with all the conductors already in it and you just pull it from A to B, then that's what you've, you've got this feeder and it goes up between floors so it runs uh, vertically. And so that's becoming more and more of a popular application. Um, and we'll talk about how you secure and support and do all that kind of goodness to it. But that is becoming a bigger use because it allows the time factor to getting a job done a lot quicker. You get it in, get out, that type of thing. You secure it and support it as required by this um, article, and then you'll, 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 you're in good shape. All right, number two says, obviously, it can be used for power lighting control and signaling circuits. Yes, remember, for control and signaling circuits, you're going to think about also bringing in... Um, Article 725, so don't forget that. Your power and lighting is covered here in the general uses applications, uh, you know, but you've also got this control and signaling circuits, and that's just a reminder that that's going to incorporate Article 725 as well, so keep, in, keep that in mind. Uh, three is a general. A lot of people get confused with this because they think because MC says here outdoors that it can be stuck outdoors, when outdoors doesn't necessarily... Uh, it's just telling you that it can be indoors and it can be outdoors. But when it is outdoors, you're going to have some other requirements, but it's not prohibiting you from being outdoors. I mean, it can be outdoors. You just have to do some other things to it. And indoors, it's the same way. Now, even though it's indoors, that doesn't mean that it can be put anywhere indoors, especially if it's subject to physical damage. Then you've got to worry about where you're putting it indoors. Okay, so this is just a general statement that's telling you, yes, a type MC can be indoors, and they do make a type that can be outdoors. So don't get it confused when you see this, and a lot of people do. I get the emails all the time that say, oh, well, I can run it outdoors because it says outdoors. Well, outdoors is outdoors. 
But if it's a wet location, which you know, 100% of the time outdoors is a wet location, I guess it could be a damp location in some aspects, but you're not going to see the damp word here. Okay, so, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But it's just letting you know that it can be indoors and outdoors, but you do have to do other things to it. So keep that in mind. And that kind of brings us into item four, same thing. Exposed or concealed. It can be exposed. You got to worry about physical damage, but if you put it up high enough and it's and the, the jurisdiction feels, let's say the way it's being installed, if it was exposed, that it's not really subject to physical damage. That's a call they make. Uh, or it's concealed behind panels, let's say up in a suspended ceiling or concealed in walls or whatnot. So it's okay to use it in those applications. Not a problem. All right, next five, you get into these aspects here now, it says to be direct buried where identified for such use. Now, so MC cable manufacturers, if they choose to list it for direct burial, then it has to meet some other requirements. And you're going to see that anything that would be identified for use as a direct burial is going to have a PVC type of covering on top of it. And on that covering, it will have the, the information printed on it uh, that will tell you that it is that it is actually identified for use uh, in a direct burial application. Okay, so you have to look for that. So that means that, no, there's no problem with you direct burying it. That's, that's not the problem. The problem is it has to be identified for that application. And this is where the word identified becomes a very important word. And we're going to see that a little later down here in, in a little bit in my extra commentary about damp locations as we talk about it later. Um, but the word identified means a product has been evaluated and has been identified for this certain application. And as a manufacturer, they're going to take that and put the information on it when it is indeed identified for a specific type of use. Okay, so that's the importance of the word identified. The, from a manufacturer standpoint, when we have something that is identified for spe specific use, then that means that it has been tested and it has been evaluated for the use that we intend it to be used for, okay? All right, now item six, it says, in cable trays were identified for such use. So, uh, obviously, in, in cable tray applications, in uh, 392, I believe, that's going to talk about where you can use tray cable because evaluated uh, for use. I will tell you that the conductor is generally inside of the uh, MC if it's going to be rated for tray cable. Uh, it's going to be already individually tested for use in a tray cable, so putting it in the armor just is adding to it. Um, but all the manufacturers will actually identify when it can be used in uh, a cable tray. So we'll, we'll tell you that ahead of time, okay? And that'll be marked on, on the actual tag that's probably on the reel uh, because you really don't mark the armor. So, um, and incidentally, I have had people ask that. A lot of times there's a lot of oils that are part of the creation of the armor cable. And so putting any kind of printing on it really wouldn't, wouldn't stick too well. Okay, not saying you couldn't do it, but I'm just saying that generally that's going to be something that would in inhibit the application being... Uh, and, and, and the standard doesn't require it. It can be on the reel, it can be on the tag, and what have you. So that's generally how the manufacturers will do it. Next is in any uh, raceways. So in any raceway, you can put MC cable. Now you have to keep in mind that the, this is a lot of times for physical protection that it can be put in a raceway. Uh, you have to pay strict mind to the raceways articles because they might have some restrictions for placing cables 
in their raceways. So you, this is not prohibiting it. You can do it. You just have to bear in mind that there are other articles in the NEC, most notably other wiring methods, that might have limitations, or they might not. Okay. Uh, one thing I will say about this is, it's, is that you still have the requirements of securing to enclosures, uh, and so that is things you got to, to think about. You still have the aspect of, uh, of bonding the, uh, the outside metal armor that's got to take place. So you have to make those type of connections. Uh, so just kind of, you, you, you got to keep all that in mind. So we're not prohibiting you from running in a raceway, but you do have to remember there's other areas in the code that you have to be concerned with. So we're not going to limit you here, but we do need to remind you there are other things that, that come into mind, like bonding and securing to enclosures and other things that, that, that you got to really take into account as well. So just keep that in mind. We just don't want to remove the fact that it can be installed in raceways. Now, you might have an installation in a raceway that's just a short section of raceway that's there for physical damage. And you're not going to be anywhere near the connection ends of this cable. It's just a certain area where you might be passing through an area which is subject to some physical damage. Uh, then this is to tell you, hey, there's no problem with that. Install it in there. Not an issue. Uh, eight, it says, as aerial cable on messengers. So if I was running on an aerial cable, then I'm going to have to have aerial cable uh, or messenger type of supporting that takes place. And and that brings Article 396 messengers to play, and you've got some specific requirements there that have to be met for you to be able to support this type of cable from a messenger. So keeping that in mind, you, you know, 396 is going to come into play if you're interested in 310.10a item uh, 8. So kind of make that little note in your code book to remind you that 396 is going to be a player here. Uh, it's not to prohibit the fact that you could do that if you secure it and support it properly and it hangs below the messenger and you do it right and you've got the type of MC cable for use outdoors in a wet location if it's an aerial application outdoors uh, and it's identified for that application or identified for the uh, wet location then have at it. But you still have to meet all the requirements of 396 as well. So just wanted to throw that out. Uh, number nine, it says, in hazardous classified locations were specifically permitted by other articles in this code. So there are other articles in 500, uh, and it goes on to uh, the different articles in, in 500 that you might uh, run into that are going to let you use a type MC cable, a special type of fitting, uh, for use in a certain applications, like maybe a, uh, a Class 1 Division 2 location or a Class 2 Division 2 location or 1 location. I mean, you have to, inside of those uh, specific hazardous location parameters, if it makes a mention of a type MC cable that can be used there, then there you go. That's how something is expressed or permitted specifically in another article. If it's doing that, then you can do it. So here it's telling you, yes, it can be in hazardous classified locations because some other articles in the code uh, and even some specific sections within those articles will push you back to saying, hey, type MC cable can be used, but maybe this is the type, okay? Maybe it's a type MCHL, an MC hazardous location type, or it might be a smooth or corrugated type of MC, because you got to remember this whole use is permitted things covering 
interlocking, smooth, and corrugated. So this is a general statement that says, hey, if somewhere else in the hazards location says that you can use a type MC, then it gets specific on the type. Then it talks about, yes, you can do it, and when you can't, that's a specific, specifically permitted area that's some, in some other article. So that's what that's talking about. And it is possible because there are some areas that you clearly can use a type MC cable, uh, a type of MC cable in a hazardous classified location, depending on the location and the use. All right, number 10, it says in dry locations. So it says in dry locations and, so all dry locations, you're okay, and embedded in plaster finish or brick or other masonry except in damp or wet locations. Okay, so I'm okay for dry locations, and I'm okay embedded in plaster finish on brick or in other masonry as long as it's a dry location. If it's a damp or wet location, then no, no dice, okay? Then it can't be in any of the plaster finish grid because that's going to retain moisture. And it's never going to dry out type of thing. It's constantly going to remain a damp or wet location. All right, so then let's look at item 11. It says in wet locations. Now, what's ironic here? And this is something I'm going to speak out to the industry in order to make a change. Now, obviously, you don't know who all is listening, and somebody might be on that code-making panel. Um, but if the intent here was for type MC cable not to be in a damp location, uh, which is distinctively different than a dry or wet location, we all know that a more restrictive wet location is obviously fine for a damp location. But the way the wording is here, and if you look at AC cable, it'll specifically call out that it can't be in a damp location. And if you look at type NMB cable, non-metallic sheath cable, you'll see that it specifically says that product can't be in a damp location. But here it makes no mention of it at all. It just says wet or dry. So obviously, if it's a damp location, what do you do? Well, we know the intent here in item 10 was it had to be a dry location. And they didn't even want it in a damp or wet location where there might be plaster finish that you're embedding it in. So that kind of gives me a hint that it is either dry or wet. Now, when it is wet location, it has to have some extra things to it. And that's what we're going to read here. It says it has to have a corrosion-resistant jacket is provided over the metallic covering. And, notice that and in there. If you're in the 2014 code, you'll see that this is grayed out. So there's a slight change in how they did it. Nothing really changes the intent here. It's just kind of the wording on it. It says a corrosion resistance jacket, which for a manufacturer, that's a PVC extruded jacket over the uh, MC cable. Okay, and it's traditionally extruded over the interlocked cable. Now that's the outer provision here. Then you have, and it says any of the following conditions are met. Well, you have an A, B, and a C. So most of the manufacturers are going to follow item number C. So I'll do it in reverse order. C is, we, you know, first of all, we've got a corrosion-resistant jacket, a PVC jacket on the armor. And then C says the insulated conductors under the metallic covering are listed for use in a wet location. So that's why you're going to see a THHN slash THWN-2. And incidentally, the dash 2 is a 90-degree rating. So traditionally, if it had been... THHN slash THWN for adjustments and corrections, which is a totally different episode, uh, then you would use 90 degree in a dry for derating, and then you would use 75 degree for derating because of the WN is only one H in it. So 
but by putting that dash two on there, now you have a product that if you're going to make an adjustment or correction, you can use the 90 degree column in 31015B16. That's your ampacity table. I can use that 90 degree value and then I can adjust or correct the ampacity based on the condition of use all right, and the ambient temperatures. And that gives me a final uh, ampacity of the conductor. At that point, then I'm going to pull it down to the termination application and determine if I still have an a conductor that meets the minimum ampacity values that are in the table. And so you can adjust from the high, uh, the higher ampacity values uh, and use it for corrections and adjustments. But if you didn't have that dash two, then if it was a wet location, you could only adjust from the 75 uh, and that wouldn't offer you really any benefit. So that's why they put the dash two on there. That also is why a lot of MCs, you'll see an XHHW in there. So we have the two H's I like to refer to as a high heat, uh, which is a 90 degree. If you had one H, it's 75 degree. If you had no H, then it's a 60 degree. And that is also keeping in mind that you have some other limitations on temperature ratings back in 110.14. I mean, you got to keep those in mind. But we're just talking generals here and why you have the different ratings on the insulation and the conductors. So as long as they got that W in there, then it is wet rated. So that's what C is dealing with. Uh, now item two says you, a jacket resistant to moisture is provided under the metallic covering. So you have the PVC extruded over the metallic covering, and then you have a jacket that's resistant to moisture under the covering. Okay. It's kind of like a I just reach out there, maybe like a tray cable that's installed inside of an armored cable, and that tray cable has a resi you know, is, is rated for the, uh, the environment, like a moisture environment or wet environment. So then you've got, because you know, a lot of the tray cables can be direct buried if they're identified as such. So what you have is you have that jacket inside and you have that PVC extruded jacket. That's an option if you had that kind of construction of a, of a cable. And then A says a metallic covering is impervious to moisture. Well, if the metallic covering is impervious to moisture, that would be more like a smooth uh, or a corrugated metal sheathing than it would be an interlocked type of sheathing. Okay. So kind of, kind of keeping those in mind, that's your three, but for, for interlocked metal armor, uh, the majority of it is item 11 is going to give you that PVC jacket and then C is going to give you the wet conductor ratings inside of it. Okay. A little more detailed than I really wanted to go into because I didn't want to confuse anybody. But, you know, that, just remember that traditionally when you're buying a PVC jacket at MC, you're buying one that's in compliance with 330.10A11 and then C. That's your traditionally what you're going to buy. And then item 12 is where single conductor cables are used, all phase conductors and where used, the grounded conductors shall be grouped together to minimize induced voltages on the sheathing. So obviously it's a metallic sheathing. Uh, so you want to, if you have a steel jacket, which is most manufacturers will make a steel, which is a ferrous uh, metal, you'll have a steel and then you'll have an aluminum. The aluminum being a, uh, a non-ferrous, you know, the, the steel being a ferrous, Depending on the installation, it wants to remind you that that if you separate these conductors, you create you create this this uh, inductive heating aspect of it. Okay, induced voltage. You minimize that voltage, and the and the bad result is heat uh, and all this kind of stuff. So, just kind of keeping that in mind. We don't want to go too deep on that. But if you're running single conductors, this is just giving you some guidance that the all-phase conductors were used. 
the granite connector shall be grouped together. Okay, so you have to run them together. All right. And this also reduces any voltage that might be induced onto the metallic sheathing. All right. Which can cause things like EMFs, uh, high EMF fields. Uh, some people get really, you know, paranoid about that, or that can create paranoia, I guess. Uh, so maybe not so much as the induced heating aspects that take place if you're using a ferrous or a steel jacket. Uh, just kind of things to think about, and that's beyond the scope of this episode. But uh, maybe we'll talk about that in another episode. All right, let's look at item B now. Specific uses. Type MC cables shall be permitted to be installed in compliance with parts two and three of article 725. We kind of touched on that earlier. And 771.133 as applicable and in accordance with 330.10B1 through B4. Okay, so... This is specific use, so obviously number one is uh, cable trays. So MC cable can be installed in cable trays. We kind of touched on it earlier. You'll see that there's uh, a plethora of other requirements. I don't even know if I said that word right, but here you got 392.10 all the way up to 392.80, which gives us uh, ampacity values and how to do so and how to make adjustments. And 392.22 is going to talk about how you install them in the tray itself, the spacing and what have you. So you have to meet all these requirements, but all this is saying is, hey, guess what? You can use type MC cable in the cable tray. And here's some guidelines that you're going to have to meet for that cable tray. That's what it's saying. Right, let's move on to two, obviously a specific use. Again, as we talked about earlier for direct burial, Direct burial cables shall be installed, uh, comply with 300.5 or 300.50 as uh, appropriate. Well, what that really means is you've got some depth depth requirements from the 300.5, and then you have some depth requirements for 300.50. So the depth of cover, depending on whether or not you're dealing with 600 volts or less or over 600 volts, um, and incidentally, let's see here, just see, because I want to talk about a change. Yeah, so the change really is, that, that brings me to the change, because you caught myself saying 600 volts or less. In reality, in the 2014 NEC, a lot of the uh, aspects of the code where it was 600 volts or less left a gap between 600 volts and 1,000 volts. So, you know, or, or more, you know, we kind of, you know, it left a manufacturer's gap, if you will. So... Basically, now it's been changed to 1,000 volts and less and then over 1,000 volts. So uh, let's keep, keep that in mind that we're talking about what aspects. So table 300.5 is dealing with the minimum cover requirements for 0 to 1,000 volts. Right? So we, we've got all that covered. And then the 300.50 is dealing with the minimum cover requirements for over 1,000 volts. So it actually goes up over 40 a thousand volts okay so it goes up higher than that so so you have some coverage uh, covering requirements so that's where you get the two uh, different uh, covering requirements for a direct burial so if a thousand and less or zero to a thousand then you and you want to find the depth of cover requirement then you go 300.5 if you want to find for over a thousand volts then you're going to go into 300.50 okay all right. Now let's look at three. It says installed as service entrance cable. As we talked about earlier, type MC cable can be used as service. And we talked about it had to meet the requirements of 230, 
which deals with service services. So here is just a reminder, type MC cable install as service entry cable shall be permitted in accordance with 230.43. Now 230.43 is that list that tells you what can be used as service entrance cable. Okay, and you'll notice that type AC cable is not there. So we talked about it earlier. That's one difference between the two. And the real reason for that is the limited uh, sizing that you get with a type AC cable. All right, that's one of the one of the things. And then lastly, let's look at item four here. It's installed outside of a building or structure or as aerial cable. All of the items that were permitted in 300.10a Okay, as long as it was identified for its application or specifically said it could be as aerial cable, which is covered under 396, this is another reminder that's saying, hey, by the way, type MC cable installed outdoors of buildings or structures or as aerial cable shall comply with 225.10, that's as outside branch and feeder cables, uh, installations 396, uh, obviously uh, 396, we're dealing with the messenger applications. Okay, so this kind of goes a long way in saying, look, there's a lot of different usages here that are permitted, and there's some specific uses that are permitted. Just remember there are other areas of code that apply that you have to remember that it just, the buck doesn't stop just with Article 330. That's kind of the neat thing about this as an electrician. I mean, think about it. You out there, whether you're an inspector or electrician, you're building the next generation of building. Your level of expertise, you're bringing to the game is so much better than the years past. I mean, not that the people, older electricians and all weren't knowledgeable. They were. It's just that technology is changing so fast. It's like with anything. You have to stay up on it. So, you know, there's a lot of the guys out there and, and girls that, that stay up onto this every day. So some company, there should be somebody in your company that is the go-to person that's going to constantly be looking at the codes. So that's the, you know, sometimes you have a small mom and pop shop and I get it. And you might be wearing a multiple hats. You might be with a code expert. You might be the installer. And it's difficult because your time is, is limited in each. So you have, and of course we got family and that has to come first. Uh, but in some larger companies, there should be a codes and standards person in every large company that constantly stays up to date on the codes, that constantly overlooks everything when it comes to meeting the minimum code standards. And also when somebody or some company wants to exceed that minimum standard, that they look at it as well and say, you know, that's all fine. But we have there's sometimes when you exceed the minimum and you go beyond what's actually compliant. So sometimes you think you're doing things better, but then you make it worse. And that happens a lot with grounding and bonding. I can tell you that for fact. Uh, I've, I've, I've taught seminars on that and then, you know, go to a co do the question and answer moment. And I do a question and answer moment only to find out that when somebody was, you know, doing some extra stuff because they thought they were being more compliant, they were actually creating a violation and they making it worse uh, like redundancy that caused circulating currents and it, they made it worse. So you got to have somebody in your firm that, that watches that line that keeps things on the level. Okay. That's just a suggestion. Uh, and if you don't have that, do not hesitate to reach out to companies like us who have codes and standards divisions. And it's not just about the wire and cable. We'll answer questions on anything. And that's any of the manufacturers who are out there ready to help. Um, so keep that in mind. You're not alone. There's people that you can reach out to. All right, so let's move on now to uses not permitted. So 330.12 says uses not permitted. 
Type MC cable shall not be used under either of the following conditions. A very strong statement here says shall not. Number one, we're subject to physical damage. Now the AHJ has to make that call. The authority having jurisdiction is going to know what situation is being provided here and whether or not this product is in a situation where it could be subject to physical damage. Now with that said, I'm reaching out to all the AHJs out there. Let's use a little common sense here. If I'm installing, let's say, a type MC cable up about eight feet around a room, let's just talk a generic room, and there's no chance that anything normally could cause damage to it, don't be such a, uh, a stingy enforcement person that you think that, oh, well, it could happen if somebody were to go out and get a chair and then get on a ladder and then beat it with a hammer. I mean, anything is, could be subject to physical damage. But you have to realize this, what is where subject to physical damage is located. Now, if I install it down at the two foot and three foot level in an area where it could be, where it's like carts pass through there or, or people going, then maybe it is subject to it. But normal people walking through it, it's not subject to any physical damage. So you got to use your own judgment, but I encourage you to realize that you don't have to be the, um, uh, the enforcer of everything. In other words, you don't have to... Um, to always think about the worst case scenario when you're when you're dealing with it. This this cable is pretty robust. In fact, it goes under a crush test. Okay, and depending on the size, it's getting either a thousand pounds of crush rating or two thousand pounds of crush rating. And so it's it's really not something that's going to be damaged by somebody bumping into it. Okay, or a chair sliding out, being slid out from a table hitting. It's not really going to damage it. Okay, so keep that in mind that it's it's still a robust product, but you have to use since there's no definition of physical damage anywhere uh, in the NEC, it's left up to you, the AHJ. Use common sense here. Um, if they install it in a way that runs with the surface of the building, if they run it in the corners where 290 degrees comes from a wall to a ceiling and they put it there, the real odds of anything damaging it are really slim and none. So, you know, I implore you to use good common sense. Now, item number two, it says we're exposed to any of the destructive corrosive conditions in A or B. Okay, so it's not permitted if it's exposed to any of these corrosive conditions in A or B unless the metallic sheathing or armor is resistant to the condition, which is possibly why we PVC jacket it, or is protected by materials resistance, resistant to the condition. All right, let's look, look, let's look at an example here. Item A, direct burial in the earth or embedded in concrete unless identified for direct burial. Okay, so we've already kind of covered this use permitted where the permitted says that it could be direct buried if it's identified for the use. Okay, now it also can be placed in concrete if it's identified for, the, for direct burial because under its evaluation, it gets evaluated and it's really not going to put it any, any, in any... Uh, potential physical damage aspect because it's going to be embedded in the concrete so that affords it some kind of extra protection plus it has the PVC jacket on it that's been evaluated for direct burial so similar depending on where you're at in the country corrosive environments not going to get to this PVC jacket so if I construct the cable and it meets that application then uh, that's okay. And most of us manufacturers will tell you if we make something for direct burial that it's also okay to embed it in a concrete. And, and if you call us, we'll identify it for that application. 
Uh, so direct burial. Okay, so the next thing we're looking at is item B. Exposed to cinder fills, strong chlorides, caustic alkalis, or vapors of chlorine or hydrochloric acids. That's a no-brainer. Okay, so even in those environments, a potentially PVC jacketed MC could have a chemical makeup difference from the PVC material to whatever the caustic material that you're placing it in contact with. You need to contact the manufacturer in all cases here in order to see if they've evaluated their PVC in contact with a specific type of compound that you're trying to install it in. So the general rule here is I'm not going to put it in a location that exposes it to these conditions. At that point, let's say strong chlorides, maybe it's a pool house. Well, I don't really want to have a lot of plastics or PVCs in an area where there's a lot of vapors or chlorides that are in the air that could have a chemical reaction with the PVC and cause it to melt down or have some other aspect, maybe like the chlorine vapors or whatnot. Every situation's different, so you have to look at the environment. If it's, you know, usually... If it's a commercial application or an industrial application, somebody's designed it or an engineer has given a classification to a specific location, and they're going to specify the type of products to be used in that location. And there are tons of different types of PVC uh, material component mixtures that might be acceptable in one of these environments. So again, stop. This is kind of one of those things where you, if you have this environment, Generally, you're not to apply any type MC cable in this environment, but then you have to go and talk to the manufacturer and see if this product has been evaluated for any of these environments, and then maybe you'll get the green light to do it. So this is kind of like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. On the surface, none of these aspects right here, if I took traditional type MC cable, A and B are prohibited locations. I mean, prohibited uses, I should say. Now, if I have a cable that has been evaluated, identified for one of these applications, then, you know, for example, a maybe a PVC that's been hazardous location rated and it's gone through a bunch of testing in order to get that HL mark, then it might be okay for some of these applications. Uh, it's a case-by-case basis, so make sure you have your manufacturer on speed dial uh, and you can give them a call and ask them specifically. For example, in my office, I have a chart that tells me what types of, of acids and chemicals and whatnot are a problem with the PVC jacket. And so if you call and you ask a specific question, the only thing that manufacturers will ask is that you don't call with a what if, that you call with a I know type of question. I know the type of chemical I have that I'm being exposed to, and I want to use this type of product. Is it okay? Then we can answer your question. But you know, hypothetical questions with us not knowing what kind of uh, uh, chemicals that we're talking about or how what kind of exposure it is, that's not the kind of question to ask to, to expect to get a real answer. So just keep that in mind. Just you know, take it for what you will. All right, let's move on to 330.17, through or parallel to framing members. Okay, so it says type MC cable shall be protected in accordance with 300.4A, D, and E. You notice B is not listed, and we'll talk about that. We're installed through or parallel to framing members. Okay, so let's go back and look at 304 and A, C, and D, and, and let's kind of do a brief summary on them. 
Okay, so let's look here. We're looking at 300.4. If you're following along, it's on page 143 if you have the paperback version. Uh, if you're in the electronic PDF, it's on page 146. Again, if you have the 2014 uh, NFPA's uh, version uh, that you purchased, hopefully you did, and you're looking at it, uh, or it's on page one, yeah, 146 electronically, 143 if you have the paper version. 300.4 says, protect against physical damage. We're subject to physical damage. Conductors, raceway, and cables shall be protected. Now, we know that recently it just said, when we looked at 300.17, uh, uh, it says A, C, and D. Well, the reason we skip B is, if you'll notice, B is dealing with non-metallic sheath cables, or ENT, electrical non-metallic tubing. So that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a metal clad cable. Okay, so we don't have to deal with B, so we skip B. We talk about A. Now, A has two uh, items to it. One is for board holes, and two is for notches in wood. So all this is saying is, look, if I run this, this uh, Type-MC cable through it wood framing members, because that's what A is dealing with, not talking about metal framing members here, wood framing members, if I go through board holes, then I have to make sure that I run the cable through a hole. That hole has to make sure that it does not have a space less than one quarter of an inch from the edge of the board hole to the edge of the framing member. And that's on both sides of the board hole. Okay, it's not just one side of it, it's on both sides. Then I have to have a add a steel plate if it's less than an inch and a quarter to get to that uh, um, edge of that board hole. Now, the reason is you do this uh, is because normally, you know, the MC cable is very resilient to nails and screws because it's flexible. It moves and it's, it's kind of rounded. So it kind of pushes out the way if a nail hits it or a screw hits it. Also, because of that required setback, it gives it that ability to move. Now, when you pull it through a board hole, its movement is limited. In other words, it might have other uh, cables running through with it. And it doesn't have the ability to flex as much like as you do when it's running uh, parallel with a framing member where it can actually move because you're securing it every six feet. So, or support, supporting and securing it every six feet. So here you have a little limited movement. So like anything, you have to install a nail plate. Now that nail plate has to be 1 16th of an inch thick or it could be less uh, if it's actually a listed and marked nail plate that might be less than 1 16th of an inch. Uh, so, Generally, most of them are going to be 1 16th of an inch. Trust me, when it comes to a nail plate, more is better. Uh, but you don't want it too thick. It obviously pushes out the wall and kind of gives you that you know, bubble in the wall. But, you know, buy a listed or a normal nail plate that's designed for this, and you're, you're not going to be a problem. All right. There are some exceptions here that you can uh, not have to, to um, that you could um, sleeve it if you will, in rigid, intermediate, rigid non-metallic or electrical metallic tubing. Um, I won't get into my personal feelings on that, but I know that in a study that was done by UL, specifically uh, on type MC cable, AC cable, and comparing it to these, these other ones that were in the exception, that to not have to maintain that inch and a quarter separation or to not have to put a nail plate. Um, what I had here was... I found they found that the rigid non-metallic conduit and electrical metallic tubing didn't provide any better protection than what's already inherent in the MC cable or the AC cable. Um, in fact, it performs slightly worse than the normal just leaving it MC or AC cable. But you notice MC AC cable didn't make it to any exceptions either in 320 or 330. Okay, uh, and it didn't make it in here under a exception number one. Neither one of those wiring methods made it. Okay, I'm not going to go into why. 
but I'm telling you, studies are out there to show you that it is just as robust as rigid uh, non-metallic or electrical metallic tubing. In fact, it's very easy to penetrate EMT. Not that it's not a good wiring method. It's a great wiring method. But I'm just saying, uh, it, it, doesn't afford, it, it didn't afford you any enhanced protection over what you'd get. But because it's not in the exception, then if you ran type MC through a board hole, you have to maintain the inch and a quarter separation from the edge of the board hole. And if it's less than that, you have to put up the 1 16th of a, a thick nail plate. All right, so this is just some exceptions to the rule, um, and that was kind of my extra commentary on it. So it still applies to MC or AC cable. The next is identical to that. It just talks about item two, which is notches in wood. Provided your notches meet in accordance with the International Residential Code or International Building Code, in other words, you didn't notch the structural member too much, that now it weakens that component. But let's assume you did not. And then you notch it out, then it's the same same way. If you notch it, then you're going to have to uh, to use a one sixteenth of an inch thick uh, nail plate, and and it has to be the equivalent width and length of the notch that you're cutting out. And then of course you still have the exceptions where you don't have to use the nail plate, uh, and of course you can. It also gives you an exception where you can list it and mark nail plates that are less than 1 16th of an inch provided they are listed marked for this specific application. Uh, just remember one thing, if you cut a notch out, the nail plate has to cover the entire notch. Uh, seems like that should be a no-brainer, um, but you know, just figure out, you know, go on and throw that out. Alright, next you move on to item C, it says cables through spaces behind panels designed for allow access. So this is like above a suspended ceiling, it says cable or raceway type wiring methods Installed behind panels, doesn't always have to be suspended ceiling, but those are an example of access panels that allow you to get to access to wiring above a suspended ceiling. That's just one example. Designed to allow access, shall be supported in accordance with their applicable articles. Okay, so all this is saying is you still have to secure it, you still have to support it, and do everything that you have to do, in this case, in Article 330, Section.30, or 330.30 is the overall section, that's going to tell you how to secure and how to support. So you still have to do that. Even though it's an access, you don't want it to be laying on the access panel. You don't want to be laying it on the grid because the grid can't support it. Okay, so you don't want that to happen. This is just saying, hey, just so you know, you still have to secure it and support it and do everything that you were supposed to do with the applicable code section that directs you to secure it and support it, okay? In this case, it'd be 330.30, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the last one we're going to talk about is D, and again, just so you know, this that we're talking about here is one of those general knowledge moments. This is something to remember whether you're dealing with type NM cable, that's non-metallic sheathing cable, or you're dealing with the type AC cable, or like we're doing here, MC cable, that this is going to apply. So when you learn 300.4 and you learn A, C, and D, and even if you're dealing with NM cable or non-metallic uh, conduit, I shouldn't say non-metallic conduit, what is it? What is it? It's um, uh, uh, non-metallic tubing, that's Smurf tube is what some people call it, the blue Smurf tube, that whether you're dealing with any of those methods of a cable, you're going to end up coming back to 300.4. So this is generic information that you can take to the bank. Okay, because it's all the same. All right, so item D says cables and raceways parallel to framing members 
and furring strips. It says in both exposed and concealed locations where a cable or raceway type wiring method is installed parallel to framing members, and we're talking about joists, rafters, studs, uh, furring strips, whatever, the cable or raceway shall be installed and supported so that the nearest outside surface of the cable or raceway is not less than one and a quarter inches. Sounds familiar, right? From the nearest edge of the framing member or furring strip where nails or screws are likely to penetrate. Where this distance cannot be maintained, the cable or raceway shall be protected from penetration by nails or screws by a steel plate or sleeve or equivalent at least one sixteenth of an inch. Okay, so if I can't maintain that spacing, then I can sleeve it in a raceway. Or if I'm using, for example, and we'll just use this example, I'm running MC cable down the side of a, of a furring strip. The tendency in probably one of the areas that I find a lot of violations in, in applications where there's furring, uh, finishing out a basement would be they use little two by two furring strips because they want all the room they can. So they use this uh, about a one inch or a one and a quarter inch thin foam board, a white foam board that goes against the, the, the block wall to create that insulation of that R value. And then they're going to, they're, then they're going to put the, the drywall onto it, uh, uh, sheetrock or drywall onto the furring strips. And the installers will, will put the box to the furring strip. So it's a shallow box, but then they'll want to run the type MC cable down the side of the furring strip. Well, that's fine. If you're going to put a metal nail plate down that entire length, because you're not maintaining that inch and a quarter spacing. The real thing you'd need to do is to use straps and uh, anchors to move that type MC cable off away from the furring strip at least an inch and a quarter and then strap it directly to the cinder block wall all the way down. And you could do that application. It choices yours how you want to do it, but that's the general application on how you do it. You need to maintain that inch and a quarter so that when the, the, the sheet rockers, the drywallers, or whatever you want to call them, are coming in and they're driving those screws, that they, if they don't hit the middle of that furring strip or stud or what have you, that if they're off to the left or off to the right and they miss one, that it's not going to shoot straight into the side of the cable. And you run the risk of it penetrating. The good news, again, about uh, MC Cable is that generally you're securing and supporting every six feet is the general rule. Uh, if it's 10 gauge and few, four conductors or less, uh, then you're going to secure it from the boxes within 12 inches. But we're talking about the overall concept of securing and supporting. So it's every six feet. Then you do have some flexibility in there. So that if a nail or screw hit it, that generally because of the roundness of the product, that it will push it to the side and the nail will kind of slide off to the side. That's the beauty of it. It's not rigid in place like a tubing or something. So, you know, that's kind of the, the ins and outs of it. So you've got to maintain that separation because you don't want to damage it. Obviously, you can sleeve it, something equivalent. Your jurisdiction's got to make that call, uh, but it needs to be a 1 16th of an inch thick. And again, you have your exceptions here again, which allow you to, uh, to be able to use steel plates, sleeves, or equivalent uh, and rigid, you know, uh, intermediate, non-rigid, uh, non-metallic conduit, and EMT. You have that option. You have the uh, the option again for listed mark plate that might be less than one sixteenth of an inch. And then, of course, you have another exception here, which is 
specific, it says for concealed work in finished buildings or finished panels for prefabricated buildings where such supporting is impractical, it shall be permissible to fish it and down the wall. And you'll see that application in 330.30 as well about fishing. If it's an existing building, then you really don't need to worry about it because it's going to be so loose in there that it really is going to move out of the way if anything were to hit it. Uh, that brings us up to a lot of people sent me emails and said, Paul, why don't they just have get rid of the securing and supporting requirements in the wall? That way the, the cable moves a lot and you don't have any work. Why would you need every six feet? And I'm like, because we have to have something that keeps it at that separation so that when people don't pack it with insulation or, or foam or what have you, pushes it tightly against something and it moves it around. We, we need it to be held in place. Now, I can't go over all the potential reasons, but that's the concept. We need to keep it in place so it holds, it holds it in place. Now, they said, but you just said you could fish it. That's our way of saying, hey, dude, it's already built. I, I can't expect you to rip the wall out. So the code giveth and the code taketh away, but it's, it's really good guidelines for the application. So... Um, we want it to be in place during the framing aspect of the building. After that, it's already been CO'd. It's already a existing building, and you have to add something after the fact. Uh, no harm, no foul, but it's not the whole building is going to be just have MC cable whips everywhere where it's nothing secured and supported. That, that's not the concept. So, so those who submit that type of rationale, you got to look at the bigger picture. It's not just about, well, we can solve this issue by doing this. It's, it's not always working uh, in that way. Okay, so that's, that's just opinions. Hopefully you understand them and we can move on to the next item. Okay, so next item we're looking at is probably one of the more interesting ones is 330.23, inaccessible attics. Now, notice what it says here. It says inaccessible attics. So it doesn't apply to a non-accessible addict, okay? An addict. Did I say addict? <laughs> it doesn't apply to a non-accessible attic. You, you got to remember, I, I came to Texas, but you know, I'm from Virginia, you know, and <laughs> everybody enunciates better out here in Texas, even though it has a little draw on it. I'm, you know, so I'm confused right now. I'm a, I'm a half Virginian half Texan. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. So 330.23 inaccessible attics, uh, the installation of type MC cable in accessible attics or roof spaces uh, also shall comply with 320.23. Okay. So with that said, we should go and look at 320.23, even though we did cover it in the type uh, in the AC presentation. Let's go and do it again because there's some people who might not deal with AC and they only deal with MC and they need to know what we're talking about. All right, so we go on over for you that are following along. That is page 197 in the electronics edition and it is page 194 in the paperback version. You should be and we're briefly looking at 320.23 because we're referenced to this uh, specific section two times. One in MC cable, and then again in non-metallic sheath cable, it references here. Kind of an effort to save on a bunch of language. I personally don't agree with that. Uh, in my mind, you should mean what you say, and so this should be in 330.23 as well as, as uh, uh, for this aspect. And it should also be uh, as well in 334.23, the actual language. 
But again, I guess we get there, so it's not a big deal. It's just me, you know, everybody has their own preferences. That's just me speaking out loud. You just happen to catch it on tape now, so it's forever going to be a statement that I said. Um, but that, that doesn't mean the panel's doing a bad job on that. It's per- They're doing a wonderful job. They're awesome. It's just kind of one of those things that, oh, it's already been done, and we're going and reference it rather than repeat the work. Personally, I think it should be just a cut-and-paste application. But anyway, it is what it is, and uh, that's just an opinion. Um, so again, there's no way uh, anything about you know saying anything about that code making panel because uh, they do a wonderful, amazing job. So that that's not what I meant by the statement. It's just a statement. So let's read it here. It says type AC cable. In this case, we'll, where where it says AC, we'll use MC because that's what we're talking about. So type MC cable in accessible attics or roof spaces shall be installed. As specified in 320.23 A and B. So it doesn't say A or B. I get that a lot. So it's A or B. No, it's A and B. So both apply. You just have to figure out what they apply to. So again, let's remember we're talking about accessible attic spaces. It says cables run across the top of floor joists in an accessible attic. It says we're run across the top of floor joists, comma, or within seven feet of the floor or floor joists across the face of rafters or studding. So two things here. It's if the accessible, uh, the accessible attic space has the MC cable running across the top of the floor joist and it's accessible attic means that I actually can go up in there with like a pull down ladder. I can get up in there. Then that aspect of is look, that's what we're talking about. Also, in the area where you access it, okay, then you have seven feet of a kind of a dome over that access hole. Kind of you put a or that access point, you put like a like a bowl over it. Anything within that seven foot bowl, if you will, uh, even the rafters, the stud, the rafters uh, and the uh, studding, anything within that realm, also has to be. Uh, protected by guard strips. And these guard strips might be something as simple as a two by four that's run beside the cable in order that you could hit that before you would hit any cable. So kind of when you're loading stuff into an attic or trying to take stuff up into an attic or you're walking through an attic or you, if it's an accessible attic, they might put a flooring down, then you have to protect this MC cable. Okay, you, you have to put these guard strips there so that if somebody's stepping, they don't step potentially onto the cable. Now, again, we talked about the cable having a great crush resistant rating, but it's all relative to how the tests are done, too. So if I have a cable that's running across the side of a rafter and, and, and you know, I weigh 250 pounds, if I get up there and I'm pushing on it across the right angle of a floor joist or, or, or I hit it in a rafter, I hit it with a air conditioning unit or whatever that we're taking up into the attic, uh, then, you know, it could damage it. So you have to prepare for that and you have to put these guard strips down and they have to at least be as high as the cable. Now, here's the thing. It goes on to say where this space is not accessible by permanent stairs or ladders, protection shall only be required within six feet of the nearest edge of the scuttle hole or attic entrance okay so keeping that in mind it's not where it's not accessible by permanent stairs or ladders that and it then that point i can reduce this 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 kind of a 
uh, dome of coverage down to six feet from the edge of the scuttle hole. Because there's no ladders. You know, the chances of you taking anything really big up there or, or doing anything like that or taking anything really heavy up there is, is reduced. So you get to reduce that down to six feet, okay, around it. All right, keeping that in mind. All right, let's move on. So item B says cable installed parallel to framing members. So now we're still in this accessible attic. This accessible attic it has the framing members. Now that could be rafters, studs, uh, depending on whether they're the floor or the ceiling. They could be ceiling or floor joists. Um, keeping that in mind. Uh, at this point, you don't need the guard strips because obviously it's got to be below the surface or the edge of that ceiling rafter or stud or whatever. Um, but it still has to meet the requirements of 300.4D. And if you remember that we talked about 300.4D, and that is to maintain the inch and a quarter spacing from the edge of the framing member. So if it is running parallel with it, you still have the requirements of 300.4D. So that's why it's so important to understand what 300.4 is when it comes to protecting as you run these cables. But here you're seeing we make a direct reference to D, which is dealing with uh, parallel to framing members. Okay, So that's where that is. So you still have to maintain that spacing, but obviously you don't need guard strips because it's not above or running on the surface of the framing members. Uh, so it's less chance of being damaged. But you could potentially put flooring down in that attic let's say, and if it's, you know, then you have to move those conductors down at least an inch and a quarter because somebody could drive a nail or staple down and miss the floor joist. So that's another issue of protection that you're trying to afford the application. All right, let's move on. All right, 320.24 bending radius uh, bends and type AC cable. Oh, wait a minute, skip, reverse that. What do we got to do? We've already done AC cable. Sorry about that. We have to go back to MC cable. So let's go back. It still bends, but now we're in 330.24. So hopefully you didn't mess up like I did there and start still reading on the next one in AC cable because that would be redundant. We've already done it. So make sure you go back to article 330 and you go to section.24 or section 330.24 and you should be on page 200 or 203 in your electronic version. All right, it says, bending radius, bends and type NC cables shall be so made that the cable will not be damaged. All right, that's an important thing because I get a lot of questions and we'll talk about the bending radius requirements or the minimum bend radius. And the reason we have a minimum bending radius is because we'd want to pre prevent somebody from overbending and damaging the cable, whether they damage the inside of it, uh, whether they, it, it causes it to bubble up and damage the, the cable or the backside of it where it blows out and that way you don't have that interlocking component anymore. Uh, or if it's a smooth or corrugated, you could kink it and that changes the diameter inside, which we don't have a fill requirement for these type of products. That's already done through the manufacturing process. But anything that could pinch or damage could potentially damage or kink or, or do something to the insulation of the conductors that are inside. So we have to maintain this nice bend from start to finish in order to not damage the cable or the conductors that are inside. So that's why this is real important to follow. And again, it's a violation that I see a lot. All right, it says here, the radius of the curve of the inner edge of the bend shall not be less than required in 330.24A through C. Okay, so again, I said I wasn't gonna talk about the smooth or corrugated, 
but we want to go over it real quickly. If you're dealing with a smooth sheathing, a smooth type of MC cable, then it's 10 times the external diameter of the metallic sheathing for the cable, not more than three quarter inch in external diameter. So three quarter inch and less, you go to the manufacturer's cut sheet, it will tell you the external diameter and you do that times 10 and you need to maintain the point where you start to the point where you end, that radial bend has to be at least 10 times that exterior diameter of that uh, metallic sheathing. If you're dealing with a smooth type of sheathing type MC. Okay, so it's 10 times. Now, if it's the next one, which is 12 times the exterior diameter, and we like to refer to as the, in, in the industry as the OD diameter, uh, and we do that in inches, and that's available through cut sheets that you can get online or from the manufacturer with just one phone call or one email, not a big thing. 12 times the exterior diameter of the metallic sheathing for cable more than three quarter, but not more than one and a half um, in external diameter. So if, they, if the cable falls within that range, then you're gonna do that, that outer diameter or external diameter dimension times 12, and that is the maintained minimum bend. And then again, the last one is 15 times the external diameter if, if the cable is more than an inch and a half. So an inch and a half or more, then you wanna be 15 times that overall exterior diameter, and that's the minimum bend that you have to maintain. So this one is not trying to say it, you, you, you don't wanna bend more than this. This is saying that you have to maintain that radial bend because by maintaining that bend's according to, to these requirements, you're not going to damage the cable and you're not going to damage the interior conductors. Okay, so that's why we have to maintain, you have to maintain this minimum bend. Okay, uh, the next one we'll deal with is B and this is for interlocked type armor. That's what we mainly deal with, but this also covers corrugated sheathing as well. So, but we'll focus, since it covers corrugated, and we're dealing really with interlocked, we'll just focus on the interlocked. And it's basically simple. Seven times the exterior diameter of the metallic sheathing. So you look at the manufacturer's cut sheet, you will find the OD or exterior diameter times seven, and from the point where you start your bend to the point where you end your bend, then that measurement of that bend itself is, and we like to refer to, is the R radial bend. That's the inner portion from the start to the beginning of the bend is what it has to be at least seven times the OD. That way you're bending it nice and radius. You maintain that bend. Anything tighter than that is going to potentially damage the conductors or damage the cable. Now this is a violation that happens an awful lot with type NMB cable, uh, non-metallic uh, dash B. Uh, that happens a lot where people just think you can just bend it any way you want to bend it. Uh, but anytime you bend it and you stretch out that copper, you create other potential problems that we won't go into in this video. Uh, video, I said video. Sorry, I do videos and audios. This is an audio because you can't see me. You should be thankful for that because today is Memorial Day. And, you know, again, re a shout out to our troops. Uh, God bless you for the service that you provide for us to be able to do this and to be able to even listen to a show like this today is all in thanks to your heroism uh, and so, again, I thank you to everybody out there who's in the military, past or present. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, and we need you, and we thank you for all that you do. Okay, um, I want to make sure I, I, I did say that because it is, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. All right, so we don't want to damage the cable, so we have to maintain this, 
this interlocking, uh, whether it's interlocking, that's seven times the OD. And then the last one we're going to get to is item C, which is shielded conductors. Uh, 12 times the overall diameter of one of the individual conductors, because sometimes you get the shielded conductors are in an MC by itself. So you can do the 12 times the overall diameter of one of the individual conductors that are in the raceway, or seven times the overall diameter of the multi-conductor cable. And that's the whole entire cable. And whichever is greater. Okay, so you can, if it, if it's one conductor inside of the armor, then you can use the interior individual conductor. Or you could use, if it's a multi-conductor cable, then you use the overall diameter of the multi-conductor cable, similar like we've done in, in item A and B before. And then you take whichever is greater for that aspect. All right. Let's move on now to 330.30, securing and supporting. Probably, arguably, the most important part of this show. Uh, and let's look at, it comes into A, B, C, and D. So let's go over these as quickly as possible. Uh, type uh, AC cable uh, uh, is one aspect that has to also have a requirements for securing and supporting. Well, type MC cable also has those requirements, and they're a little different. Uh, AC cable is supported every four and a half feet. MC cable is supported every six feet. But let's go on into more details. How do you secure it? Well, A is a general. It says type AC cable shall be supported and secured by staples, cable ties, straps, hangers, or similar fittings or other approved means designed and installed so as to not damage the cable. All right, so the other approved means is something that the authority having jurisdiction can look at something that's being produced that might not be covered as a cable tie, staple, strap, or hanger, or considered similar to those, yet it was specifically designed for securing and supporting of a type MC cable, but the code really doesn't cover it, so this gives the AHJ the ability to accept something, because they approve it, and they're the authority having jurisdiction, so they can approve it, and that's what the term approve means. But you can use cable ties, you can use straps, you can use hangers, you can use other similar fittings like those, you know, that as long as they don't damage the cable and they're identified for this specific type of use, uh, then, hey, have at it. Uh, item B says securing. So that was the general what can be used to support and secure. Now, in securing, unless otherwise provided, and when we say otherwise provided, we're really talking about unsupported cables down in item D uh, is one of the aspect. Uh, but unless otherwise provided... Cables shall be secured at intervals not exceeding six feet. So you're going to secure these cables every six feet. Now, cables containing four or fewer conductors, and as long as they're size 10 and smaller, they shall be secured within 12 inches of every box, cabinet, fitting, or other cable termination. So if there are four or fewer conductors and it's 10 gauge or smaller, then you need to secure it, okay, within 12 inches of a box, cabinet, what have you, termination. Now, if they're larger than 10, okay, then if they're larger than 10, then you don't have to. You can do still follow the six-foot requirement. So that means within the box or cabinet, you can go up to six feet and then secure it and support it. Okay, so that's what it means. So the 12 inches only comes into play if it's four or fewer conductors and they're not larger than 10, okay? If they're over 10, then you secure it every six feet, and that'd be six feet from a box, six feet from a cabinet, six feet between points, uh, 
That's how you would do it. All right. Uh, I get that question a lot because I do have some uh, issues where I had a feeder MC and, the, and they weren't securing it within 12 inches and it was larger. It was like a six gauge or eight gauge or whatever. And, and, and I got an inspector contact me and he wanted to turn the job down. And in no disrespect to the inspector, great guy. You know, he just, you know, it's like a lot of people, we, we don't read into it all the way. Uh, which is normal. I'm guilty of it half the time when I'm giving a reference to somebody like, oops, there's extra extra words there in the paragraph I should have read. Uh, we all do it. But the reality is here, since it wasn't 10 gauge or smaller and four and fewer, then he didn't have to um, secure it within 12 inches. He could go all the way up to six feet and secure it. So, you know, he's like, oh, okay, well, I stand corrected. And I'm like, no, nah, my friend, it happens to all of us. It's just... You know, we can't put this whole code book in our head. You know, we try. We're, we're, not, we're not somebody that's uh, like a, a Mark Odie who, uh, or Jeff Sargent. You know, the reason I mention those two names is because these are two people that I highly respect that just simply seem to know the code. Like if somebody took a USB drive and stuck it in the side of their head and they downloaded the whole daggone thing and they quote it verbatim. Um, Odie is an amazing gentleman. True. He's a friend of mine uh, and uh, a wonderful guy. Uh, and, and my life is so blessed to know him. Uh, and it's same with, with Jeff Sargent, who works with the NFPA. That's been his whole life. His job has been working with the NFPA and working with, uh, I mean, not his whole life, his whole code life, uh, working with the NFPA, whether it's in their office, uh, writing some of their documents or out in the field like he is now, the dude is just amazing. Uh, and so if you ever get a chance to, to have a teaching a moment where you attend one of their classes, uh, those two gentlemen are, are, you don't want to miss it. Uh, Mark Odie or, um, or Jeff Sargent. Um, it's funny because some of the things that Mark Odie will tell you, it will not hit you until you're riding home in the car. And you'll go, oh my God, he's right. It, it, you know, kind of one of those moments where it hits you and you go, now nah, I know what he was talking about. You know, it's kind of one of those moments. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go down that road, but those are two people that probably I admire the most uh, in this industry uh, for their knowledge. And, and they've been very helpful to me and always are and always have been. Um, the next thing is we go on to, it says, now you'll notice something that's kind of grayed out in here. And this is the aspect of a vertical installation. So it says in vertical installations, listed cables, and incidentally, all of our cables in a chapter three wiring methods or all the cables that are within the chapter threes are listed wiring methods, okay? It says listed cables with ungrounded conductors, 250 KC mil and larger, shall be permitted to be secured at intervals not exceeding 10 feet. So. Instead of securing the cable every six feet, as the general rule is, it's saying, hey, in a vertical application, because of the size of these conductors, because of the, how they're made, uh, because of the, all the potential friction that you've got in place, that you can increase that, that, that um, securing interval up to 10 feet. And that makes more sense when you're going between floors in a building and getting access to these cables to be able to secure them, that you can increase that to. Now that doesn't say that I can't, that I don't have to, that, that I can not still secure them at six foot intervals. It's just permitting me to extend that up to 10 feet for those sizes. So six foot general rule, 10 foot if they're 250 KC mil and larger, uh, in a vertical application, not a horizontal application. This is a vertical, app vertical application that this gets you that allows you to go up to 10 feet. All right, so keep that in mind. 
Next, supporting. So we just talked about securing and securing is important. Securing and supporting go hand in hand. Um, but we do have two separate items here. We're securing and supporting. So it says, unless otherwise provided, and again, that talks about D, which is unsupported cable. Uh, it says, unless otherwise provided, cables shall be supported at intervals not exceeding six feet. So that same securement requirement covers the supporting requirement as well. And then it goes on to say, horizontal runs of type MC cable installed in wooden or metal framing members. And that's kind of like what we talked about before through board holes is one example, but you can through metal framing members as well. Or similar type of supporting means, that would mean something that you're boring through or that can actually meet both the supporting and, and everything. It says that also are considered supported and secured where such support does not exceed six foot intervals. I'll say, so I'm running it through framing members and if my frames are 18 inches on center or 24 inches on center or whatnot, then you never have to worry about it because at no point will that cable run through one support to another support that's more than six feet apart. Through framing members, they're gonna be either every, every 16 inches, 18 inches, 24 inches, whatever the construction, then it's adequately supported uh, at no point more than six feet. So you don't have to worry about it. And that's what this is saying. Now they're secured because they're inside of the board hole or similar framing member, so it's not moving anywhere. Can't go up, down, back, forth. It's inside the board member uh, or the hole or the notch or whatever. It's just, you know, so you, you get me? Okay, so that's how that applies there. So considered secured and supported as it runs through, you know, the framing members. All right, next let's get them item D, which says unsupported cable. So we know that we're required to do the six foot uh, of the supporting requirement every six feet. We know that when we go vertical applications that we can increase that to 10 feet if they're 250 KC mil and more. Uh, then we know that we, in horizontal runs, if it's through framing members, that the framing members, unless there's a gap in there that the framing members are more than six feet apart, then it's considered secured and supported as it runs through those members. Now we get to the unsupported allowances. Number one, it's fished between access points through concealed spaces in finished buildings or structures, and supporting is impractical. It means that I'd have to open up the walls. The, the building has already been finished. This is going to permit me to fish it between A to B makes sense. Again, giving you some allowances for that oops moment, but it only applies after the building already has been charged with the finished building. CO, not to be during construction and you just forgot to put something in. Cut the sheetrock or the drywall, put it in, secure it and support it properly, and then put it back. There's a difference. If the building is finished, it's ready to charge its CO. At that point, it's different. Okay. Now, item number two. It's, it, if it's not more than six feet in length from the last point of cable support, that may be a strap, a tie wrap, or whatever, to the point of connection to luminaires, so that's like in a suspended ceiling where I drop from uh, the last point of support, I can go up to six feet to a luminaire, or other electrical equipment that the cable and point of connection are within an accessible ceiling. So I'm allowed to drop down from the last support down to a luminaire or down to electrical equipment in a suspended ceiling, let's say, where I can gain access to it. And again, it says, for the purpose of this section, type MC cable fittings shall be permitted as a means of cable support. Now, obviously, they're securing it to the, to the actual luminaire or the electrical piece of equipment. 
And so from that last point of securement, in other words, it has a screw in it. It has a, either a saddle bend if it's an aluminum type of MC or it's a steel MC. It's got a set screw type. It is secured in place by that screw and by the listing of that fitting to that electrical equipment or the luminaire. Now it becomes a supporting requirement. And this is allowing you to go up to six feet unsupported to that other piece of equipment like a luminaire or electrical equipment in a suspended uh, ceiling or accessible ceiling area and it's considered secured by that fitting to that luminaire or that electrical equipment, then all we're really dealing with at this point is the supporting component and this is allowing you to go up to six feet. That's what it's saying. Now, type MC cable fittings shall be permitted as a means of cable support. So this was added in previous cycles to remind you that yes, that fitting is meeting the supporting requirement. And that was kind of because a lot of people said, well, it says supporting, but it didn't say anything about securing uh, and, and everything else. It, trust me, it is obviously secured to the piece of equipment because it's set screw secured or it's saddleback secured and it has a lock nut or whatever or whatnot screwing that connector to it. It's secure. Trust me. It's the supporting component that we worry about here. And it's okay as long as it goes no more than six feet. Okay, now... That was that one. And that's for accessible applications. Now, if it is a non-accessible location, then you have to still secure it and support it as normal. Okay? And that brings us into the aspect of, well, it's usually in those areas, it's going to be 10 gauge and smaller, and it's going to be four or fewer conductors, like a 10-2, a 10-3, or 12-3, 12-2. If that's the case, then you need to secure it within 12 inches of a box, a cabinet, or whatever, okay? So you have these little allowances in here that you gotta kinda know how to work them, okay? And what you're dealing with. And what's the difference between an accessible ceiling or a concealed space and it's not accessible ceiling? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Now, let's go on to item three. It says, in type MC of the interlocked armor type, okay, so this one, the other is applied to all of the MCs. This one, item three, is specifically targeting interlocked armor. It says, type MC interlocked armor type in length not exceeding three feet from the last point where it's securely fastened and is used to connect equipment where flexibility is necessary to minimize the transmission of vibration from equipment or to provide flexibility for equipment that requires movement after installations. Maybe some motor applications, I don't know. Each jurisdiction and each designer is gonna understand this a little, little better. But in areas where it's gonna allow you to be able to have that flexibility uh, or you're going to have some kind of vibration, now, what do people usually bring to mind? They say, well, a transformer, if I'm gonna use this, this for a transformer. Uh, generally, transformers, you know, or sit on pads that, that actually absorb any vibration that you might have due to the, the magnetic coupling between the primary to secondary if it causes any vibration. It, it's designed to isolate it and it's on pads and it's not that big of an issue. So that's not a great example, I guess. Um, but any aspect where you might have some kind of vibration, something that's moving, conveyor system, something, uh, and you need that flexibility to be able to change that equipment that wouldn't be... Um, it, it wouldn't be something that you'd want to hardwire in, you know, with a tubing or, or a conduit, then this is an option that allows you to go from that last point of securement to three feet to facilitate 
this uh, changing of this equipment. And this is what it's going to allow you to go up to three feet for that application. So in accessible, accessible spaces, ceilings, for example, you have that six foot from the last support to the luminaire and the equipment. And then you have this other general rule that's just a general rule for interlocking cable lets you go up to three feet from the last point for flexibility where necessary for vibration from equipment or to provide flexibility for equipment that requires movement after the installation, some kind of movement process. Then we're going to allow you to use that three foot. And the good news is, for those out there who worry about the armor being used as an effective ground fault current path, you don't worry about that with a normal type NC, right? Because in a normal type NC, it's got an insulated equipment grounding conductor inside of it, so you don't worry about that ground connection. Uh, and you know, incidentally, in 1569, which is the UL standard for type NC, the general rule, um, that, that equipment grounding conductor doesn't have to be insulated. It can be bare or insulated. But in most cases, the manufacturers are going to insulate it. Okay, I just wanted to throw that out there. All right, so that's covered in D. So now we're going to kind of go on to the, the next one. We'll skip over 31. It's not really a big deal. Let's go to 330.40, dealing with boxes and fittings. All right, now it says fittings used for connecting type MC cable to boxes, cabinets, and other equipment shall be listed, identified for such use. Now, one important thing to notice in here is, and I get this question a lot, and I did a video on it, and I encourage you to go to YouTube and, and do a search for Encore Wire Codes and Standards. Uh, and then on there, you can watch a little video that explains the new MCI-A products, like an, a type MC Smart Ground products, where you're going to use the outside armor as an effective ground fault current path. And it requires a special type of fitting. But what I wanted to talk about here is that type AC cable does require an anti-short bushing uh, in, in addition to any kind of abrasion insulator that you might have for the fitting, uh, you still have to have an anti-short bushing that goes in between the armor and the conductors themselves. And that is a requirement in 320.40. You don't see that requirement here in 330.40. Now, manufacturers will ship out their MC cable with these anti-short bushings in them. The little redheads, people call them. I've heard one part of the country even called it a red hat because it looked like a little red top hat. Um, or what have you. Uh, interesting to note, the, the code doesn't require, the standards don't require for those redheads, uh, or red hats or redheads or whatever you want to call them, anti-short bushings. They're not required to be red. They can be other colors, but they have to be distinctive and they have to stand out. Okay, so the standard says they could be red, uh, they could be yellow, they could be uh, orange or whatever. It has to be distinctive uh, and stand out. Uh, most people just use the red ones. But I have seen green ones for use in, in you know, healthcare facilities. They want to use them for that, for the healthcare type AC. Uh, but so you have these options here, but they're not required at all for type MC cable. Now, are they a good added benefit or protection? Hey, I'm a believer that anything more is always better. However, if you chose to not use them, it's no violation. Okay, that's, just, that's a, simply a choice. So to the inspectors out there, it's not required to have an anti-short bushing with use with a type MC cable. You have to have a listed fitting for MC cable, and it's designed to keep the armor from penetrating through into the connector and potentially damage. It kind of holds the armor outside once the conductors are the armor is stripped away and the conductors enter through the connector into the box or cabinet or whatever. It kind of holds the armor back. Uh, and you got to remember also that type MC cable. 
For the most part, we're talking about traditional MC cable. Has a wrap around the conductors. It's a polymeric type of wrap. Many people use a product from three um, from DuPont, which is called like a Mylar. But it is other polymeric type of wraps that you can use that go around these conductors. And that provides the benefit of protection between the armor and the conductors. So it kind of makes an anti-short bushing uh, irrelevant. You don't really need it. Whereas you don't have that same protection when you're dealing with a type AC cable because the paper is much thinner and the standard calls for a paper wrap. Whereas I could use a paper wrap on a type MC cable. The, the standard permits it, but it would be a much thicker type of paper and, uh, and it wraps around individual conductors and, and adds that extra level. All this kind of makes an anti-short bushing irrelevant. But if you get them, and here's another thing, just because you receive anti-short bushings with a type MC product purchase has nothing to do with the listing. Doesn't mean that an inspector should turn it down because they say, well, it came with the product, so the intended is to use it. That is not true. That is not true. It comes with it because we understand that some people might not understand the difference between 330.40 and 320.40. We understand that you might not know the difference, and we want to provide that to you. It's an option. Okay, It's not a requirement to use them on type MC. So don't turn a job down because they don't use it. It's an option. But you do want to make sure they're using the right fitting. Because not all type AC fittings can work with type MC fittings. Even though there's a lot of them out there that have triple ratings or triple functions or dual functions that can be used with MC or AC or the new MCI-A enhanced type products. They make fittings. Another example is Bridgeport Fittings makes a wide variety of fittings. You just have to look at the label on the box to see if it's okay for the type of cable you're using. Keeping that in mind. All right, enough of that. I done beat that home. Uh, now, just to reiterate, there is a difference between an anti-short bushing and abrasion protection. Uh, so sometimes you'll find a fitting that'll have a little red uh, or a different colored insert in there. That's for the abrasion. And you still, in AC cable, you'd still have the issue of making sure that you have an anti-short that goes between the conductors and the armor. Whereas again, it's not really required at all for a type MC cable. It's more or less just abrasion protection. That's it, as it comes into the fitting. But that's usually designed into the listed fitting and it's identified for use with MC. So you don't have that issue. Uh, next, let's move on to 330.80, ampacity. It says the ampacity of type MC cable shall be term determined in accordance with 310.15 or 310.60. We're going to primarily focus on the 1,000 volts or less, 310.15. And let's just say this. Everything that's within 310.15 is fair game here. We're talking about the applications on 310.15b2a and 310.15b3a, the ampacity values that are in 310.15b16. This statement covers them all. So they all apply. Now, the difference is we have some specific allowances for ampacity within .80, the same way we had some specific applications for non-metallic sheath cable in 334.80, which talks about when it's in contact with thermal insulation and, and what have you, that changes some of the aspects of 310.15. So you gotta keep it all into perspective that it all applies. You don't just go to one location and think that the other articles don't apply, because they do. So, or other sections apply. So let's keep that in mind as we go through this. Now, it says 310.15 or 310.60 
for 14 AWG and larger conductors and accordance with tables 402.5 for 18 through 16 uh, gauge conductors. Okay, so we still have the issue of 402.5 table for that ampacity values that will apply to any uh, flexible cords or fixture wires or anything like that that's covered under 402. Uh, let's see, just a definitive here. Hold on, let me go, go, go. Yep, fixture wires. So that's covered under 402, and you have the ampacities that are relevant to that. Uh, so all of it's covered here, and all of uh, 310.15 is going to apply, keeping that in mind. Now, let's got an A and a B here. So let's look at A. It says, for MC cable installed in a cable tray. So not only do you realize that type MC cable has to meet all of the adjustment and correction aspects that it might be exposed to under 310.15, and we have some allowances for a certain number of MC cables under 310.15 that we'll look at here in a second, uh, but just remember that the general rule applies, and you have to go look at 310.15. But now, if it's going to be installed on a cable tray, all it's saying is, hey, since we're talking about ampacity, it says in item A here, or uh, yeah, 330.80A, it's saying, well, look, we're talking about cable trays now. It says the ampacities for type MC cable installed in a cable tray shall be determined in accordance with 392.80. And 392.80 is going to give you some ampacity uh, aspects that you have to take into account. And they're also going to kick you back to 392.22 for how you install these cables into that cable tray. Okay, so you have to remember those aspects. Now, it's too detailed for us to go through every aspect in this, in this audio tape. But if you have any questions, and maybe I'll do a show just on the ampacity adjustments uh, dealing with 392.80 uh, when you're dealing with an MC going into a cable tray uh, for a future show. If you send me an email and you say you want that. If you don't want that, I'm not going to go into those details, okay? So that's just saying, hey, be aware that you have some other aspects when it comes to ampacities that are going to take place here when you're dealing with uh, cable trays. Next, it says single type MC, uh, single type MC conductors grouped together, where single type MC conductors are grouped together in a triangle or square configuration and installed on a messenger or exposed uh, with a uh, ma uh, with a maintained free space of not less than 2.15 times one conductors, that's one conductor's diameter, of the largest conductor contained within the configuration and adjacent conductor's configuration, that means you're spacing them out, or cables, the ampacity of the conductors shall not exceed the allowable ampacities in the following tables. And that is table 310.15B20 for conductors rated 0 to 2,000 amps, or table 310.60C67 and table 310.60C68 for conductors rated over 2,000 uh, volt applications. And we talked about that a little earlier when you're dealing with two, uh, 0 to 2,000, when we're dealing with the depth of cover and the over 2,000. Okay, so the reason that's important is because if you actually go back and look at table 310.15B20, uh, you'll see that it's dealing with the ampacities, and that's an ampacity table that you're probably very familiar with when, when you were thinking about looking at 310.15B16. This one is specifically for uh, messenger-supported applications, okay? And the ambient temperature is different here than the normal. Uh, this is a 40 degrees C, whereas the other is 30 degrees C, 
Okay, so just keep in mind that if you're dealing with a messenger application for this product, which it clearly permits you to be able to do, we saw that in the uses permitted, that you have an opacity value here that you have to be aware of. And, and this is different than using the normal 31015B16. So that's all it's trying to make you aware of. All right, uh, let's go on. And again, that same thing applies here for the item two, which is dealing with over 2000 volts, you have some different opacity values that you have to take into consideration. All right, let's move on now to part three, which is construction specifications. Again, if you're new to this type of thing, UL1569 is gonna be the, the, the standard that we create this product to. All the testing, everything that's done to the product, the, the optional listings and what we do with it for direct bury or, or wet location or whatnot, or cable tray usage, all that stuff gets done under, designed under UL1569. But here we have some construction specifications that really as an installer, you're trying to make sure that the product you're using actually is a product that is listed and it meets these minimum standards and gives you kind of an understanding. So let's kind of go over these briefly. 330.104 says conductors. Now this also lets you know that conductors shall be of copper, aluminum, copper clad aluminum, nickel or nickel coated copper, solid or stranded. Okay, so I can have MC that's copper, aluminum, uh, depending on the size, usually for feeder type MC, you're gonna see more aluminum. For the branch circuits, you still that issue where people don't understand it uh, and they fear away from the branch circuit size aluminum, which you know is really a problem from the issue in the early 70s with an you, uh, with a AA well, a A1350 type of aluminum. And we've really changed that today when we're using an AA8000 series type of aluminum that has a characteristic that's more like copper. Uh, but there are two different materials. Uh, they have different resistive ratings. Uh, and you know, aluminum, in order to get the same ampacity as copper, aluminum has to be larger, as we know, in order to have the same amount of current carrying capacity. Uh, it does weigh less, so you have to weigh the benefits of either, um, you know, that type of thing. I'm, I'm obviously a, a copper kind of guy, uh, but I'm not afraid of aluminum, so I, 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 and I support aluminum because it has a lot of good usage. So you have to know that it can be an either or, so the feeders that are aluminum are perfectly fine. Uh, if they're installed and terminated properly, they meet the right torquing requirements. Uh, Annex I in the back of the NEC will give you some torquing information. Also, um, uh, UL486 uh, A and B, I think it's 46 A and B, that gives you some aspects of torquing requirements that you have to meet. Uh, also, looking at the lugs that you're installing the wire into, you got to meet those torquing requirements. Uh, if you over-torque it, you damage a product. If you under-torque it, you potentially could damage the equipment. So, you, you have to keep those things in the mind. Um, man, I'm going off on a tangent. It says the minimum conductor size shall be 18 copper, and that is for MC cable. Okay, so if MC cable, you're not going to have conductors in there of any aspect, even if it's a signaling uh, or control, it's not going to be smaller than 18 gauge. If it is, it couldn't be in there. It's kind of like your new MCPCS products that are out there on the market, which control lighting automation and dimming systems, as well as the power conductors are in there. And that's not what this class is about today, but they can be together in the same type MC cable because they're separated by a, a non-conductive binder or insulation sheathing, if you will, over the, the, the 18 gauge conductors that are doing the signaling. 
And so that creates a separation and, and UL has said that that is perfectly fine for them to go in the same cable. They still meet the UL 1569 standards. Um, so there's no separation. But the point here is those are 18 gauge and they're in the same um, cable as the power conductors or lighting conductors. So that can be done, but even in that, you still can't have conductors of any type smaller than 18 gauge, okay? All right, so the minimum conductor size is 18 copper, nickel or nickel coated copper, or 12 aluminum or copper clad aluminum. So you, again, the code does not prohibit 12 aluminum from being used. It's just that most of the manufacturers are just not gonna do it. Uh, maybe that'll change, but I, you know, right now it's you know it's not going to happen. So most of your brand circuits are going to be obviously copper. All right, next is 330.108. That's equipment grounding conductor. It says uh, where type MC cable is used to provide an equipment grounding conductor. Uh, uh, where type MC cable is used to provide an equipment grounding conductor, it shall comply with 250.11810 and 250.122. Okay, so. If now let's look here, let's look individually at 250.11810 so we can kind of look at it and see what we're talking about because then I'm going to explain the differences in the two and why you can have this more enhanced type of uh, MC cable out there on the market. Okay, so in your code books, hopefully you're with me and you can go, I'm on 130, page 131 of the electronic version or in the code book if you turn to page 128 in the paperback version, softbound edition, uh, not the commentary. Um, or the handbook, but the regular softbound edition, then what you're going to see is item 10 is dealing with type MC cables. Now, we want to identify this because this is an important aspect of understanding type MC cable. MC cable itself does not provide, provide an effective ground fault current path. All right, now, the many people argue well, why type AC can do it and type MC can't. Well, one of the real reasons is type AC cable has an intimate contact strip that runs the entire length whereas type MC cable does not. It's just an interlocked armor. So what happens is you, with MC cable, you have that spiral effect and you have the fact that any fault current that would be placed on it has to go around that spiral effect. And it has, it, it not only does it add resistance to the current flow, but it acts as a counter magnetic field that can actually cause resistance to the actual current flow, which can inhibit the operation of an overcurrent protected device. Now, if it was close enough to the default point, then yeah, maybe. But we can't limit the link that somebody might run type MC cable. So it can't be used as effective ground fault current path. And I'm gonna leave it in that and not go into even more physics. Well, somebody else can do that for you. But there is a reason why we connect all the convolutions together in a type AC cable that helps that entire spiral jacket act as one single component whereas you don't have that same effect with the interlock, okay, aspect of it. So let's talk about what you have to do with type MC cable. So if you're looking at 250.118 uh, item 10, then what you're looking at, it says type MC cable that provides an effective ground fault current path in accordance with one or more of the following. Now, number one says this, A, I can provide MC cable, and inside of that MC cable, I can provide an insulated, or uninsulated, we talked about that earlier, people a lot of times think it has to be insulated, it doesn't have to be, contains an insulated or uninsulated equipment grounding conductor in compliance with 250.118 item one. In item one, you see over on the left of the page, it says it's a copper conductor. 
Hey, so we put a wire type uh, conductor in there and that's how we were able to get the effective ground fault current path for this product. All right, another option is B. It says a combined metallic sheathing and uninsulated equipment grounding slash bonding conductor of the interlocking metal type AMC cable that is listed and identified as an equipment grounding conductor. So basically that's what you have when you have something like a smart ground product. Okay, because what you have a smart ground product is you have your armor, okay, which is very reminiscent of a type AC armor, uh, maybe aluminum or, or steel, doesn't, doesn't really matter here. And you take that armor, and now what we're doing is we're putting in there an uninsulated equipment grounding slash bonding conductor. So in conjunction with that bare conductor, in this case it's going to be aluminum, all right, and it's got to be sized equivalent to whatever the the overcurrent protective device would require an equipment grounded conductor to be. So in this case, let's just talk about 10, uh, 10 gauge and 12 gauge. You're gonna, probably going to have a 10 gauge um, grounding slash bonding aluminum conductor in there. And that's going to run through the entire length of this cable, making intimate contact with all of the convolutions. And it's going to be run on the outside of the polymeric wrap. In other words, it's not going to be inside with the conductors. It's going to be run in that space between the, the polymeric wrap that some people use a product that's called Mylar. And it's going to be between that and the armor. And when you armor it, you're compressing that aluminum grounding slash bonding conductor against that armor for the entire length of that cable, making that intimate contact very similar to type AC cable. Okay, very similar. So in that aspect of it, now you have an effective ground fault current path. So item 10B is how you get those smart ground products or for Southwire, it's Southwire's AP for Encore, it's Encore's um, smart ground, SG. Uh, so that's how you get those type of products in order to be able to use that. Now, those products that are under 10B have to have a special fitting or connector. And that fitting has to be an MCI-A type of fitting. Again, I encourage you to watch our video that's on our codes and standards uh, video that's up on our YouTube page. Go to YouTube and search for codes and standards on CoreWire and you're going to find a nice little 9 minute and 20 second video that gives you all the ins and outs of this smart ground type products and it's going to apply to all of the manufacturers that make that type of product. That just happens to be our rendition of an explanation. And then of course you got item C. It says metallic sheathing or the combined metallic sheathing and equipment grounding conductors of a smooth or corrugated tube type MC cable that is listed and identified for equipment grounding conductors. So that product will be listed and identified as an, an effective ground fault current path and as an equipment grounding conductor. So we're generally talking about the interlocked, but you know, there you kind of cover all of the aspects that allow the outer sheathing or the requirement for an interior conductor that does it. This is, you know, and all wiring methods have to provide you with an equipment grounding conductor. That could be the raceway itself, or it could be a wire type that's placed in the raceway. Okay, so you get these options, but we need to have that effective ground fault current path in order to remove fault current as quickly as possible by allowing the resistance to be low enough or an AC, the impedance to be low enough in order to trip out or blow a fuse on an overcurrent protective device. Okay, and we have to provide that uh, effective low uh, 
um, low impedance ground fault current path in order to be able to provide this function of safety. And that's why it's so important to have it. So here you have your options. An MC cable, the traditional comes with the insulated equipment grounding conductor. It's just inherent that we all insulate it. It doesn't have to be, but generally is what we all do. Uh, you know, nothing prohibits us from doing it uninsulated equipment ground. Or we can do the smart ground or the more enhanced type MC, but you got to use special fittings for it. And in that case, that's why you'll see that bare conductor. And incidentally, once that's done, you can simply snip off when you get to your terminal or you get to your, your connector. You, it's already done its job. You don't need to do anything with it. You simply turn it back against the armor. You take the diagonal cutter as you go in. You snip it off so that it doesn't protrude past the edge of the armor so it won't inhibit the connector going down on the cable, and you're done. You don't have to do anything else with it. Now, you could terminate it, but what would be the purpose? It's already done its job, okay? All right, so we recommend you just snip it off and be done with it. All right, let's go on back to 3.30 and try to wrap this thing up because I don't know how long I've been rattling on here. So thank you for hanging in there with me. Uh, next, let's talk about um, insulation. So 3.30.112, insulation conductors shall be with 3.30.112A or B. So I got an A or B. So 1,000 volts or less insulated conductors in sizes 18 and 16 shall be the type listed in 402.3. So there's a list in 402.3 that tells you the type of insulations. So it's got to be one of those types of insulations. Okay. And it says with a minimum operating temperature, not less than 90 degrees C. So it's kind of like non-metallic sheath cable. You got to have a rating on the conductor insulation as 90 degree, even though the code's going to tell you, you got to do the ampacity based on the 60 degree rating. That's what it says for non-metallic sheath cable. So kind of the, the same here, but the terminals are going to be the limitation here. So you truly got to understand 110.14. So here it says the conductor's insulation has to be 90 degree. Uh, and as permitted by 725.49, right? And it says conductors larger than 16 shall be the type listed in 310.104A, and that's going to give you all of your insulation types, or of the type identified for use with type MC cable. And the ones that are identified for use in type MC cable are going to be generally the conductors that are produced under like a UL83 or UL44 for thermoset thermoplastic. That's the type of conductors. Uh, so this is generally 1569. The construction specification under UL for the making of a type MC cable is going to tell you what type of conductors and the insulation types that can be inside of that cable. So it's you got to kind of takes care of itself because a manufacturer who makes a type MC cable has to make sure that we make it in accordance with the UL standard. And that's important. Because everything that gets designed of our wiring cable, for example, goes through rigorous tests through our lab. And our lab is a $13 million lab that has flame chambers and test equipment. And we're always testing elongations and crush ratings and uh, F4 flame tests or, or, or 12, um, 1202 flame requirements or IEEE testing. It gets done on a daily basis. So when we construct it, we already know the type of conductor that can go in it, whether it's an XHHW-2 or a THHN slash THW-2, uh, THWN slash 2. We already know this, so it's kind of taking care of itself. Now, 
B is if it's over a thousand volts. And for you guys that are out there dealing with over a thousand volts, the installation has via the type listed in 310.104B and table 310.104C. So that's going to give you some parameters, but let's just put it this way. If you're buying it, it is listed, it's been evaluated, it's on the shelf, it's probably already been through all this. So really this area is just for knowledge. It's not something you're going to check. Uh, now 330.116 is the metallic sheathing. This is just, we're gonna, and this is the one that we end on here. It says metallic covering shall be one of the following types. Smooth metallic sheathing, corrugated metallic sheathing, interlocked metal tape armor, the dimensions of which are covered in UL 1569. Uh, the metallic sheathing shall be continuous and close fitting. That's the interlocking component on that. Uh, and it's how it, it's neat if you ever get a chance to see how it comes out of this machine that actually makes it. it you know what? I, I could sit there and watch these machines all day long. Does that make me a nerd? I don't know. But I like watching it. So, yeah, I'm a nerd. In fact, our new offices, if you don't know anything about me, uh, at Encore Wire, our new offices are down in the, on a separate wing of the facility. And everybody refers to that as the nerd wing. I don't know why. I was never considered that growing up in sports and all. But now, all of a sudden, I'm a nerd. I don't understand it. And I mean that affectionately for all of my fellow nerds out there. All right. Now, it says, a non-metallic sheathing or armor shall be used uh, used on a single conductor type MC. Uh, supplemental protection of the outer covering of corrosion-resistant material shall be permitted. Again, that's what gets you the PVC jacketed MC, permitted to use it for a specific application, and shall be required where protection is needed. So that's what we talked about for the corrosion environment. That's why you have a type MCHL for a hazardous location application. If, if your company makes that type of MC for hazardous location. Uh, so that's just kind of giving you the the overview of every product that you make has to have a specific use in mind, whether it's a dry location, wet location, uh, and what have you. And uh, boy, that leads me into one last thing. I do need to talk about the difference between dry, wet, and damp when it comes to type MC. Um, and it says, lastly, the sheathing should not be used as a current carrying conductor. Well, that goes without saying. The reason it has to say this, because if somebody ran a... a a, let's say a 14-2 type MC cable with a black, a white, and an armor from box to box, or let's say from box to a piece of equipment, uh, and now somebody comes in later and says, ooh, I want to get a, it's a receptacle, and now they say, well, I'm running it up to a light source, and now I want to get a receptacle pair, and I want to switch the receptacle, so now what I do is I run power on the armor, because the black conductors for the light, I want armor, you know, something stupid like that that people do all the time with type NM cable when they use that bare conductor in the NM cable as a current carrying conductor and they're not supposed to. It's a grounding and bonding type conductor. But people ignore Article 250 and they do it. And then it creates a hazard because now you're putting current on all the metal parts because, again, they're all bonded together. That's the nature of the fitting to the metallic armor, to the boxes. You're creating this bond component that's bonding everything together. So um, they do this, and they want to use the armor as some kind of current carrying, and that's wrong. So the code has to remind you, it is not to be used for any current carrying. And you can affect people's lives by potentially putting their life in danger by doing so. So, and, and 250 is not going to allow you to do it either. So with all that said, I want to go back to one small component. And I really thank you guys for, for hanging in there that long. I'm not sure even how long this recording has been so far. 
Uh, it seems like it's been over two hours. That's a long recording. So I want to end it up on this. How come in the use permitted, it doesn't say anything about a damp location? My proposal is in item 11, it should say in damp or wet locations where a corrosive resistant jacket is provided. Because my belief is that AC cable says you can't have it in a damp location. NM cable says you can't have it in a damp location. I think it's all about protecting the armor and its potential for corrosion, even though aluminum might not be as corrosive condition as maybe the steel, depending on where it's at, but that's usually galvanized. So without going said, they, they don't say anything about damp location. But here's the caveat to that. Everything about it here says that it has to be identified for its use, right? It says it has to be identified for its use in that application. So, is normal type MC cable identified for that type of use? What it brings me back to is I got to go back to look at um, uh, section 110.11, deteriorating agents. Okay, so we make a product, uh, and we know that in a wet location, you have to put a, a PVC jacket on it, okay? Make it impervious to moisture, okay? And we'll label it as such, is for direct barrier, uh, wet location, uh, what have you. Um, and in a dry location, you're using normal uh, conductors, and, and it's a dry location. It's not, not a problem. There is no issue of moisture to the actual uh, product. Now, we do know that a dry location can be subject to uh, uh, temporary conditions of moistness or wetness or dampness, such as under construction or, or what have you. Um, but if you look at the definition of a damp location, that let's say under a porch or an awning where the wiring might be up in the awning, it's probably closer to a dry location than it really would be to me a damp or wet location. That is a call the AHJ has to make. But if we call it a damp location, so if that's your call, and you're the HJ and you say that this location is a damp location. The problem is the product is identified for use and 330 points out it's to be used in a dry or a wet location. And if it is a wet location, it's got to be identified for such. Okay. Now, if you look at 110.11, it says deteriorating agents, unless identified for use in operating environment, no conductors or equipment, shall be located in damp or wet locations. That's an important statement because this MC cable is equipment. It is electrical equipment, okay? While the conductors are rated for the damp or wet location, uh, obviously rated for wet location, which is more stringent than the damp location, the actual armor, which is the equipment, is not rated for a damp location. It's rated for a dry location, and it is, can be rated for a wet location depending on how it's manufactured. It says, we're exposed to gases, fumes, vapors, liquids, and other agents that have a deteriorating effect on the conductors or equipment, or we're exposed to excessive temperatures, okay? It says, equipment not intended for outdoor use. Well, we know MC cable can be used out for, for outdoor use. And equipment identified for indoor use, such as dry locations, interior use only, damp locations or enclosed type 1, 2, 5, 12, 12K, or 13 shall be protected against damage from the weather during construction. Okay, so this is the aspect of where under a dry location, a little rain or moisture in an open building during constructions is not really going to harm the product, okay? It's, it's just a temporary condition. Um, so you have to make the call. Uh, I encourage inspectors out there to really look at the location. 
if the product's being installed in a location where it's really not subject to dampness, it's really not subject to uh, uh, moisture, maybe temporarily, then I encourage you to think of it as a dry location. I can't make that call for you. But what I can tell you is, if it's definitively a damp location, you as an inspector have made that call, then normal type MC, no matter what the rating of the conductors inside of it, isn't rated for damp location. It's rated for a dry location, which may be subject to moderate uh, for temporary uh, dampness or wetness, but that's temporary. You have to make that call. If it is truly a damp location and it's always going to be a damp location uh, by whoever makes that determination, then this product can't be used. But you can get a wet rated type MC where we PVC jacket it and then obviously the less restrictions in a damp than it would be in a wet location, then I can use a wet product in a damp location and you're perfectly fine. You have to make that call, the authority having jurisdiction, really. But the key component here is it has to be identified for the operating environment. So you have to make the call. Don't put that burden on the manufacturer. We make it for a dry location and we make it for a wet location. We have no problem with you installing a wet location rated product in a damp location. If it is to be a dry location, you have to determine whether or not it's a dry location or not. We can't do that for you, okay? But that gives you some guidance. All I'm saying is use your brain. Look at the environment. Just because it's foggy or might be a little humid at certain times of the summer doesn't make it a damp location. It just makes it a slightly humid or a slightly foggy location. It's not like all of that mixture is going to the cable. That's where I'm going to stop on that because I don't want to give you any ideas that are not beyond your own conceptual ideas of what we're talking about here. Use your best judgment because if it is a, if you label it a dry location, use the product every day of the week. If you rate it as a damp location, then you have to use a wet location product in it because there is no identified product for a damp location. You see what I'm saying? If it's a wet location, use a wet location rated product. That would be a PVC jacket at MC. And you have to remember the fittings, okay? So if it's a dry location, then you can use regular fittings. If you consider it a damp location and you allow them to use the, uh, the uh, MC cable that is not PVC jacketed, you got to also be careful about the fittings because a lot of the fittings for normal MC will say right on the side of it for dry locations only. And then you're kind of lost out there because it, if you label it as a damp and let you still let them use it, there's a reason why those fittings for normal type MC cable are listed for dry only. Because the two areas that it's been evaluated for are dry location or wet location when it has the jacket on it. So I just wanted to throw that out there to maybe give you some guidance to the AHJs on how you rule here. Okay, We're not determining where you use it. you got to make that determination and then you can go look at the code and know that the manufacturers created it for dry and a wet location, depending on the use. All right. Well, that's it, guys and uh, gals. Thank you all for listening. Hopefully you got something out of it. Sorry it went on forever. Hopefully you get something out of it and uh, it'll help you. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to contact us at, at info at masterthenec.com. Any questions at all, any clarity you want, any audio presentations that you'd like me to do based on a simple aspect. Maybe you, you just want to know how to, to do a calculation or maybe you just want to know something specific. Let me know. I'll produce a radio show for it and it answers all your questions and that way you can use it. If you're an inspector out there and you're confused over something or you want our take on something, our interpretation 
Uh, we're not always right. We strive to be, but we might not be always right. But at least you'll get our interpretation of it. So contact us at, again at info at uh, it's info at masterthenec.com. Send us the email, or you can go to our website at masterthenec.com, and you can send an email from there if you wish. Uh, and ask your question, but be specific. Don't give your opinions. Ask the question and ask us for our opinion, but make sure you give us all the details. Don't leave it kind of open-ended. Be specific in order to get a specific answer. Thanks again, everybody. God bless. And again, to our troops, thank you for all you do. Your services are very much appreciated. Uh, uh, And uh, again, God bless and stay safe.